0: Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. Wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This is our last sermon on the series of prayer that I've been doing. This is our sixth one. And before we begin this last uh, sermon of the series, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. For your faithfulness, that even though we were unfaithful, you are the faithful God. Even though we would uh, fail, Lord, you give us victory. And at this time, we want to reflect on the word that you've given us. Throughout the series, we've been learning our prayer, and finally we've come to this culmination and this climax of revival. Lord God, we pray that we would have attentive of years hearts that will be able to listen so that we may grow as a church that is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to talk about a story of uh, a man named Charles Spurgeon. Um, I just want to know by a show of hands, who knows who Charles Spurgeon is? If you kind of know, can you just raise your hand a little bit? Okay, so... Pastor Paul, I just want you to see, this is how many people know who Charles Spurgeon is, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of, uh, just a tiny bit of who he was, just like maybe two or three facts. He was actually dubbed the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he preached in the late 1800s, and he, his church was in London. Um, he preached so many times and in during that time um, during the time he spoke at the new park street pulpit and the metropolitan tabernacle pulpit they gathered all her sermons together and they were able to compile about 63 volumes that's how many sermons and different sermons that he preached and that it was about 20 to 25 million words which are equivalent to about 27 whole volumes of uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica. So that's how much he's preached. And he still um, by far uh, has the largest set of books by any Christian author in history. Um, He once addressed an audience of 23,654 people with no mic and he was able to address them all. People would come from far and near to listen uh, to his um, sermons. Uh, one time, this, is, this is my favorite uh, little tidbit about him. Not many people may know this, but one time he went to this hall. It's, it was called the Agricultural Hall, and Spurgeon shouted, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he was just testing the acoustics, and he just said, Behold the Lamb of God. And there was a worker in the rafters just working in construction and then he just gave his life to Christ. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, That's the the kind of powerful preacher he was. Many preachers uh, aspire to be like him. In fact, uh, one of our well-known preachers today, uh, Haddon Robinson, who came here to give a seminar and he was a preaching professor over at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He came over here, gave a seminar his name is Haddon. Haddon was the, he was named after Spurgeon because Haddon is Charles Spurgeon's middle name. And so now that I've given you some groundwork, I'll give you this uh, quick story. Five young college students were spending a day in London. They really wanted to hear this famous, famous Charles Spurgeon speak. And so while they were waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by this man. And he, this man just went to the five college students Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? Uh, it was a hot summer in July. They did not want to see the heating plant. It did not interest them at all, but they didn't want to be rude to this gentleman, so they said, sure. And so the young men were taken down the stairway, and the door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. And surprised, the students saw over 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. And softly closing the door again, the gentleman introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself. You know, one of the things I am incredibly blessed by, and I love with all my heart, is that before our service, we have people in the pastor's office praying for this very service. And they are asking that God would bless this service. Um, this is something that churches yearn for. We long for it. And this is what we are to also pray for. And what is it? It's revival. Revival is what we pray for. Revival sounds good. And yes, we are here to pray for revival. And the Bible revival, so the Bible does admonish us and encourage us to pray for revival. In fact, even in Psalms 85, 6, the psalmist cries out, Revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. And Habakkuk 3:2 talks about the Lord reviving us. So the Bible talks a lot about revival as well. And we ought to pray for revival. But before we do, I just wanted to go over this question. What is revival? J.I. Packer on revival says, Revival is an extraordinary work of God, the Holy Ghost, reinvigorating and propagating Christian piety in a community. Revival is an extraordinary work of God, the Holy Ghost, reinvigorating and propagating Christian piety in a community. So, number one, what we have to understand is revival is something that God does. But I want to add this revival is something that only God can do. Only God can do revival. Only God can bring about revival. And if that's the case, then what we should realize and what we should recognize is that we have to pray. Because it's only something God can do. And it's something that we need. Prayer is an admission of need. You know people who do not pray? They feel like they don't need anything. If you don't need anything, guess what? You won't pray. So you find it hard to pray, then ask yourself honestly, do I feel like I have a need? Do I have a deep need? And once we realize it, then you would try to fill that need. If you're hungry, what would you do? You would go and eat because you know you have the need to eat. If you need to relieve yourself in the bathroom, guess what you'll do? You'll go to the bathroom because you need to relieve yourself and that is your need at the time. If you have something like uh, some other issues that you have, material need or you need shelter, clothing, whatever it is, You will try to get that. But what if you can't get it by yourself, but you know you need it? We are called to pray. Prayer is an admission of need. We are asking God to do what we cannot do ourselves. And our most urgent need, I want to argue here today, our most urgent need is the Holy Spirit. This is something very difficult for our culture to understand because many of us sincerely believe that as long as we put our minds to it, and this is some kind of mantra we've been given ever since we were young when you watch a a movie or when you see TV shows, even growing up, when we put our minds to it, nothing is impossible. You can achieve anything. You want to tell your child that too if you're a parent. If you're a teacher, you want to teach your, children, your students that as well. If you want to achieve it, put your minds to it, and you can do it. But there is something that we cannot do that we need more than anything else, and that is revival. We are asking God to do something we cannot do. That is why we pray the ultimate and necessary gift of revival. Uh, last week, we talked about the Father's great love for us, and his great love is perfect. Our Father who wants to give what is best to his children. But What I didn't go over is that at the end of the passage, he first he talks about that friend who is annoying, we talked about that, and then uh, we talked about the evil father, Even the evil father will give good gifts to his children. Then he talks about the perfect heavenly father. And then we stopped at that. But if you read the rest of that verse, it says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the Holy Spirit, the divine, a, divine agent of revival, is a gift that Christ promises that the Father would give to those who urgently pray. That was my first point. Revival is not only something God does, but it's something only God can do. My second point is revival is extraordinary work. Extraordinary here doesn't mean new or different. It means in greater measure or degree. When we pray for revival, we are asking the Holy Spirit to do what he does, but in greater measure. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reinvigorates and propagates Christian piety in the community. What we are asking is, God, in revival, we want you to do more of that to a greater degree in this place, in my life. If something good happens to you, you feel great. And after a while you would say to yourself, perhaps, I want more. Um, And I think it's like that for me. One of my favorite quotes in in all the movies I've watched comes from, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, like a B movie. It's called The Replacements. And it had Keanu Reeves and all these other actors. And The Replacements, has one of my favorite quotes. It's from their coach, who was played by Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman goes up to Keanu Reeves and says, uh, glory, however brief, stays with a man. And I can never forget that because it was so true. If any of you played sports, or you did some kind of achievement in life, it's somehow, some, for some reason, it can play in slow-mo as you remember it. Uh, I remember when I would play sports and you would get this one epic shot in and then the team would win and that would play. And that would kind of encourage me to play a little bit more, a little longer. For some of us here, uh, I work out with a few of you guys, and for some of us here, when we hit that uh, personal record and they PR, and then every, every one of us is watching. It's like, whatever it was, what is it? like, 325 or 330 pounds on the bench, and everybody's just cheering because it was the first time they hit that weight. And then they remember that moment because glory, however brief, stays with a man. And um, I remember even like the stupidest little games that didn't even count. Um, I felt like I didn't, I had something to prove. I don't know why. I was with these bigger guys, and they were all from like, Minnesota and Texas and we were playing football and we were just playing a football pick football game this is way way when I was way younger I, I wouldn't do that now uh, but there was a, a long Hail Mary pass and I was able to outrun my defender and catch it I, I, I seriously remember I cradled it like a baby I just just popped right in my hands and I ran in for a touchdown and everybody was cheering but you remember that stuff and it stays with you um, and I think that's maybe, maybe some of that has to do with uh, people loving to play sports again. Sure, we love the camaraderie, but that camaraderie goes down the drain. Like every, <laughs> every season, we're like, come on guys, this is a church league, it's not about winning, but everybody wants to win, let's be serious. Everybody wants to win. And when you're losing, yeah, okay, let's smile, sure. No, it's, it's rough. Because we want to experience that glory. It is. It's brief. It's tiny. It's minuscule. And people, people who don't play basketball will think it's the stupidest thing in the world. It is. It's foolish. It's tiny. It's minuscule. It's the foolish thing. It's the foolish, most foolish thing in the world. And yet, these guys who play basketball year after year, they're holding on to that. And then you turn 40. 40 and you're like a pastor, and you still play basketball. For what reason? What are you trying to prove? I don't know. But you're still like playing basketball. But uh, all joking aside, uh, that stuff stays with you. Once you become a Christian, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift, the most heavy, heavy glory. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you remember that moment and you don't forget it, because it stays with you forever. When you are asking for revival, it's like Oliver, in, uh, in the book Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, going back up to the person serving gruel, because they could only eat one bowl of gruel, and he's going, please sir, can I have another, can I have one more? Because you want more. When we're asking for revival, we're like, Holy Spirit, I've tasted you. I've seen how good you are. I've seen how awesome and mighty on how heavy this glory was. And I want more, God. I want more for me, but I want more for those that are around me. I want more for this church. I want more for my friends and my family. I want more. And that's what extraordinary means. We want more of you, God, in this place In our lives, please, sir, I want some more. And if we realize this, and if I want to connect it to last week, if you realize you're a child of God and the Father is a good and perfect heavenly Father, then you are not afraid to go back up to ask for more. In this church setting, uh, we used to have people hand out food. Uh, We don't do that now because the foyer is so tiny. You kind of grab your own food and pour your own coffee. But before, uh, we would, not this church, but my dad's church, we would have long tables, like they would be put together and we put tablecloth over it so there's like not a disconnect. You guys remember in old Korean churches might do this and uh, there would be like a buffet line. And then at the end, people would even pour drinks in these plastic Dixie cups or whatever it was and they would put these drinks out. And there was this one little boy who wanted juice and they were serving juice. He was a tiny boy who could barely walk, and so he would grab the juice, and he's trying to bring it back to his mom, his mom just watching, and he's, he's clumsy. He's like spilling it everywhere, and everybody's like, should we help? But the mom's not helping, so everybody's just gonna watch and laugh, so everybody's watching and laughing, and eventually, of course, he stumbles, and he spills all over the floor, the juice that he wanted, all over the floor, and everybody comes to rush, he's okay, but now everybody's cleaning it up. But this is what the boy does, he gets back up, and he goes back to the table and goes, can I have one more? What an audacious little boy, right? (laughs) This guy, but that's, that's who we are. We should have the confidence that we could go back to the Lord and say, God, can I have some more? If we understand this, then we are not praying. When I say let's pray for revival, we're not praying for some kind of magic bullet or some kind of illusion, some trick to happen, some explosions to happen, some fairy dust to fall. That is not what we are praying for when we were praying for revival. And this is something that we have to understand because we can get confused with some kind of illusion and some kind of wow, like, whoa, look at that pretty thing. And we can confuse that with revival, but it is not. And revival is stated and I think shown here in Acts 2 that Jubin, Elder Jubin read for us. And this is after the disciples prayed and prayed and prayed. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And Jesus told them, pray, pray and pray so they didn't leave they just prayed and while they were praying the holy spirit came upon them like tongues of fire and then they came out and then they started speaking and when they started speaking everybody was like why and this was in jerusalem a, a trade capital uh and people people were like why is peter and all these other disciples why are these guys speaking in my own native tongue that means when I'm speaking, I'm speaking right now to you in English. But if there was someone who who could also kind of understand English, but their native tongue was Swahili, would hear me speaking Swahili. Like I would be, I would be talking right now, and that person would be hearing clicks and all these crazy stuff going on. And another person who was French, I would, you know, I I don't I don't like purse my lips like into an O, but that's how they would hear it. And that's insane. It's insane. And that's what they were hearing. And then when that happened, Peter stood up and he preached this message. And he reminded people what it said in Joel chapter 2. And this is what, he said, and this is what uh, Elder Jubin read for us. Um, what happened after he preached? It says in the Bible that they were cut to the heart. In verse 37, now they heard this and they were cut to the heart and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. So when revival happens, this is the outcome. Repentance, baptisms, that's what happens. People think that revival happens, then you have tongue. Um, I just want to going off a tiny tangent for our church members, Uh, tongue is not a precursor to revival, nor is it any kind of necessity to revival. In fact, the tongue that we may be familiar with is not the tongue that Peter spoke of or spoke with in Acts 2. He He didn't do that, what we may have grown up with. In fact, this was a problem that not, not only plagues us in our church today where people are just shouting gibberish in their prayer, but uh, that even the Corinthian church faced. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, hey, uh, stop it, don't do it. Uh, what's the point of speaking this tongue if no one's going to understand it? And so... Um, I imagine, I'm imagine i going to really, really paraphrase here, but when I read chapter 14, it's like, you know, when we pray, I pray in a language that you understand so that you can agree with me. And then when we pray, like Eugene, our brother Eugene prayed, we're like, amen, amen, amen. Wow, he does not sound like a Korean American. He sounds something like something else, but amen anyway, right? And then we, we agree because we understand the language. And if I pray in gibberish, what are you going to do? You're just going to, just gibberish meaning you don't understand it. What are you going to do? And so Paul was saying, hey, stop that. And in fact, if someone's going to pray in tongue, then make sure someone has an interpret, interpretation. I encourage you to look at it after and just read through chapter 14 if this is something that you've experienced and this is something that you might have struggled with just like I did. But let's say we want to rally cry. What would I do? We'll gather the people. We're about to go to war. Prayer is like war, right? So we're about to go to war and be like, okay, brush And then the people are like, what? What do we do? I don't said it brushna you guys. And uh, what? And um, all right, someone translate that. Oh, brashnaka, just, just some Bulgarian word for let's go. So I was like, oh, let's go, you know, that kind of thing. You would say, let's go. I don't, I don't think it's Bulgarian or it means let go. I just, this is something, when I was a kid, I used to speak a lot of gibberish. Um, but you would say, let's go. You wouldn't yell out gibberish. And so uh, this is what the church was facing in, in Corinth, And this is what he ends it with. He goes, uh, Paul, he goes, what then, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. And let all things be done to build up. So what's the point of even tongue? It's to build up. If any speak in tongue, let there be two or three at most. And each in turn. And let someone interpret So even when you pray in tongues, Paul is admonishing his church in Corinth to only one at a time, let there be only two or three at most, and this is a huge church, and make sure someone interprets. And at the end of that, he goes, God is not a God of confusion but of peace. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, all things should be done decently And in order, there is a purpose and a reason for order in our service. Even the liturgy that we have, there's a purpose to it. It draws us into this journey with God. You know, we start with the call and the invitation to praise, to the confession of sin, to the assurance of pardon. And it all brings us to this journey where we finally get to listen to the word that is spoken. And so there is an order that we must understand. We are not to think that when we think of the word revival, I want to break this kind of um, picture that we may have ingrained in us. When we say revival, it means Wednesday once a year, 8 p.m. in our church revival meeting, and it's three days long. That is not revival. In fact, we can pray for revival, so it could be a prayer for revival meeting, and that can happen. And so we ask God to do Only what he can do. Lord, bring revival. I remember the time you touched my life and I was never the same. And I want this again. I want to chase that feeling. You know that kind of thing? I want this again. And I want it for my friends, for my children, for my parents, for all the people that I love. Uh, And this is what we pray for in in a sense when we pray for Revival, then I said, "What it is not, and so what is it?" Number one, we pray for God's glory, just like it says in Psalm one fifteen, uh, verse one: "Not to us, right? We have we know that song too. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us, but to Your name give glory." And then the second thing we pray for is the advancement of God's kingdom and obedience to His word. Let Your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the third thing that we pray for is the success of gospel preaching. In Colossians 4.3, it says, Paul is asking, um, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And lastly, we also want to pray for the sinner's repentance. Uh 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing any that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that you've met God? How do you know that you've been filled by the Holy Spirit? It's you have repented. There was a time in your life or there's a continuing time from then on as well that you have repented and are repenting. If there is no time like that, I'm sorry. You're not a Christian. You need to pray for a revival in your very personal life as well. <clears throat> and so, when everybody heard the word being proclaimed by Peter, they were all cut to the heart. They asked, what should we do? And this is what Peter Responded, he said, um, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, repentance and the Holy Spirit comes. This is what we long for as a church. And at the end of that passage, it said, 3,000 more were added to their number. When's the last time you experienced revival? Was there a time? I mean, I don't know. Is it something that we long for? And like I said, we should long for it. This is, this is our goal in our church, to have <coughs> revival happen in this place. Um, I kind of want to end with this story because I love this story. It's about Jeremiah Lanfear, and many of you may know him, but he he became famous because of how he prayed and what he prayed. He was a businessman in New York City, and he thought, you know what? We should have a prayer meeting because everybody's so busy at work, aren't they? Especially if you're in New York City, you're a banker, you're a trader, whatever you are, you're working in the office, you're a salesman, you're so busy. So he said, Let's, uh, in around 19, 1857, he said, let's, um, let's have this prayer meeting. Uh, and then during lunch hours, only the lunch hours. So from noon to one, exactly, just pray. Uh, so he started handing out flyers, pamphlets. This is the prayer meeting. Meet here at this church. And they had their first meeting. Um, he went up to pray. He waited, no one came. 10 minutes passed, no one came. 10 minutes more passed, still no one came. And then the minute of his hand, uh, a minute of his watch hand pointed to uh, 12.30. And that's when he heard footsteps on the stairs. One man came in. And then another man came in. Until there were six people in total. So six people showed up that first prayer meeting that Jeremiah Lanfear held. And um, after that, he said, we'll meet again next week, next Wednesday. Now, that time, when they gathered to pray, there was no great outpouring. It wasn't like people were so heavy with the Spirit of God, there was a crying out. But that meeting was more than extraordinary because what happened is the next week when they decided to pray, he still handed out flyers and it was a second noon hour meeting on Wednesday. 20 people came. 20 people showed up. And then the following Wednesday, 40, Jeremiah Lanfear decided to make the next meeting into a larger room. And that very next week, Um, The biggest financial crisis hit, banks closed, men were out of work, families were hungry. And then there was something, there was a great need in uh, New York City at the time. That meeting continued to grow and grow, grow so much that he had to make an announcement. Everybody, if you're here for the meeting, thank you for coming but please stick to your five minutes that are allotted to you and then make your way out because there are people waiting outside to come in to pray. There were so many people waiting to pray that meeting went up to more than 3,000 people trying to get into this chapel. It didn't matter who you were. Everybody came from lawyers and doctors to messenger boys to merchants and clerks. People would drive up to the curb with their horses, tie their horse, and would go up just for a few minutes to pray. That five-minute rule was so that uh, they could give everybody an opportunity. This was famously now known as the Fulton Street Revival. And this happened in Fulton Street, obviously, but this reached everywhere. In fact, they had... um, they had reports from people in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada that three to 400 people have been converted in just a few days. Local accounts of revivals were happening and they were being reported in religious papers in the very next month in November. These conventions were now being spread across and the YMCA, the Young Men Christian Association, decided to pick it up and move these prayer meetings all over the states. Uh, within six months of this happening, In New York City alone, 10,000 businessmen, it's just only businessmen, not not, not counting women and children that were coming out too, 10,000 businessmen. And this is out of a population at the time in New York City of 800,000. It was only about a tenth of what New York City has now. 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily in New York City for prayer. Uh, One year, not even one year later, in January 1858, there are at least 20 other prayer meetings going on, full tilt in the city. And um, this is what we now remember as the Fulton Street Revival. To me, when I read that and when I remember, I try to remember, try to just imagine what happened is something that we long for. It's something that we really desire. You know, it's something that uh, we can't, Honestly, it's not something that if we change the color of the chairs, you know, maybe more people will come. Or if we change something here, maybe more people will come. If we strategize here, maybe we'll get more people. If we not only play basketball, but we play volleyball, we'll get this crowd. It's not only it's not just about that. Those things are okay. I like it because I also like playing volleyball. But there's something more important to that. You know? When you pray you pray for success in your work, right? When you travel, you pray for traveling mercies. When you're sick, you pray for health. But you have to wonder, what does all that lead up to? What is is the climax here? Where am I leading up to? Isn't it so that we can receive the Holy Spirit? Isn't it so that we can receive the glory of God that we desire so much, That even Moses is like, I don't care if I die. I want to see you. That is what the heart of a Christian is. We want to see the Lord. And we're so desperate. We will gather together to pray for revival. And I pray that we can be a church that does it. For when we now preach the gospel... When we say to the people that are in front of us, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we pray that the Holy Spirit would do the convicting and change their hearts. We have prayer meetings in our church that I invite you to. We have it every Saturday at 8 8 a.m. And we will have other prayer meetings going forward. But for now, we have one Saturday at 8 a.m. that I want to encourage you to come out to. And what we do is we pray for revival. We pray for our church. We pray that God shows up powerfully and changes lives. That's the stuff that lasts, you know? Let's be honest. All these other things, are very they're, they're there. They may stay with you, but they're small. What God wants to give us is an incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And for that, I encourage our church now to pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to ask now that you do only what you can do. We've been ingrained in our personality, by our culture, whatever we want to blame it on, that if we can't work for it, then why even bother? It's not exciting. But Lord God, One of the most exciting things you have prepared for us is something that we cannot do on our own. It's something only you can do. And right now, what we want to do is turn to you in prayer. As a church, we want to say, Lord Jesus, come. Fill this place with your presence. Change lives so that they will get to know you and love you. Change my life because, Lord, I want a little bit more.